0: Everyone,
1: are you hungry for lunch?
2: Well, Well, let's let's have have lunch. lunch. Do you want want some lunch?
0: Well, well, we'll get you some lunch, everyone.
1: Everyone. Yeah, hankering for for lunch. lunch. Well, Well, then come come to to lunch. lunch. Well. It's time,
2: time for, for lunch lunchbox box with Ed and
0: John. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. right. It's time for lunchbox with, with Ed and John. John. Take it away, Ed. Thank you all for coming to this uh, second day of Lunchbox Podcast Live. With, and thank you to my Edmund. lovely wife
2: for buying me this piano a couple of weeks ago.
0: <clears throat>
2: Hooray for Jill. Thank you, Jill. So I could become proficient, as, yep. you, as you could uh, tell from that, in pressing the chord button yeah. and also the rhythm song. No,
0: you were, you were, you were playing a little felonious Monk there. That sounded good. That sounded right. Thank you. Um, are we loud enough for you guys? Are we, are we audible? We're not loud enough. We're going to turn up.
2: Could you hear the piano? It's pretty good, wasn't it? Is that better? It's all the right. Montana Festival of the Book and uh, Casio keyboard.
0: Yeah. I think we need a Montana Festival of the Casio. And we you, do. you and I could attend it. Didn't you all try to have an
2: electron, elect, electronic music festival? In uh, Ithaca a few years ago, or I'm, I'm using the wrong term. I'm um, talking about the the Moog. If if by festival you
0: you mean me and my neighbor, yes,
2: yes, that's a festival, right? It's a festival of two. Two people come together, and
0: right, and have a festival. Yeah. Uh, no, it didn't. That didn't pan out. But it may happen one of these days.
2: Yeah. That was because the the moog. His name's Larry. Larry Moog. Moog. Bob Moog. Bob Moog. Bob Moog. Although in the song
0: that I wrote for your for your wedding, I had to I had to call it the Moog, so it would rhyme with your name.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ed Skog. Ed Skog. Yeah. Right. So we're (coughs) enjoying the Montana Festival of the Book, uh, the second day of the final day. Final day. You know, I went out and I was going to buy some of your books because I was looking interested, uh, having known you for many years. And I'm a
0: professional writer. And had
2: this podcast with you. I was looking forward to finally reading some of your work, and I I couldn't (laughs) find anything on sale.
0: Yeah, that's a thing that happened, sadly. You know, I have two books out there.
2: There's proof out there that I'm actually a a, a professional and famous writer.
0: I'm only uh, apparently legit on the internet. The internet says I'm real, but. The festival doesn't. What can I say? So if you're interested in my work,
2: I'm sorry. It's not available. Mm -hmm. If you're uninterested in it, uh, congratulations. Yeah, you're in good shape. That's right. Uh, We are going to talk to two friends today. What Uh, kind of friends are these? They're pretty good friends. Are they... And they're writers.
0: They're writers, all right.
2: Their books, for example, are on sale at the book festival.
0: Have, by any chance, we cleverly chosen two people who write in separate genres to... Have a variety of
2: topics to talk about? We have, uh, we have done so. We have Kate Lebo, uh, from, from uh, Seattle and Portland, who is here to talk about her book, A Commonplace Book of Pie. Excellent. Or, I don't know if we'll talk about it, but... In fact, we might not even talk about pie. You've probably talked about pie that. enough <laughs> Yeah, that we won't even talk about pastries or tarts, torts, or uh, crumbles. Tort Tort talk. Yeah. It's very different from Pie Talk. It is different. And who's the other guest? Uh, Robert Stubblefield uh, from Monument, Oregon, and more lately of Missoula, Montana, for 20 years, yeah. uh, will also be joining us um, <coughs> to talk about his, uh, his new book, Commonplace Book of Pie. Excellent. Uh, with Viking Penguin.
0: Very popular book. It's a, it's actually not the publisher Viking Penguin. It's a, a Viking and a
2: penguin who are. It's a terrifying gigantic penguin that yeah. ransacks coastal communities. Precisely. Yeah. Performs the blood eagle. Uh, so before we. You know the blood eagle, right? No. You read Wells Tower. Yes. Um, his, his his great story. Everything ravaged. Everything burned. Burned and ravaged. Everything ravaged. Everything burned. Which is a story, a great story of a Viking. Um, uh, a Viking. Penguin. Raid. Oh. On, yeah. on, a, on a little town uh, by sort of thoughtful, introspective Vikings. Yeah. Um, you know the story, right? It's an old story, the thoughtful Viking. The thought- but they're, they're, their thoughtfulness and introspection and personal relations are not inhibiting them anyway in, in killing people and doing horrible things in this town. But they're kind of talking about their interpersonal conflicts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: While, while one of them performs the blood eagle, which is where you... You uh, uh, put a couple of incisions in somebody's back, and then you pull out their lungs. Um, and so for a few minutes, the lungs continue to inflate and deflate, but not for very long. No, not very long. You have to be very quick to catch the blood eagle in, in action.
0: That's a good, good, uh, good way to kick things off by talking
2: about that. Well, I'm trying to bring some more gravity to our conversation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yesterday, I feel like we got uh, a little ethereal. Yesterday was heavy. Yeah. I thought
0: it was heavy. It was heavy. So I want to tell you, before we invite a guest up, that I ate breakfast made by writers today at the Burn Street, Street? Burn Street Co-op? Burn Street Bistro. Burn Street Bistro, adjacent to the co-op, Yeah. Which is, which is spectacular. I had brisket with an egg on it and with macaroni and cheese under it in a ramekin. Spectacular. I highly recommend it.
2: I'd like to know more about this.
0: It was it was delicious. They they've got a they've got a, some a local person who who smokes the brisket for them, and they they uh, they laid laid it in strips over the mac and cheese with the egg fried egg sitting on top of it. And when the the cook chef put it in front of me, he said, "Watch it! Those are slippery dudes."
2: Slippery dudes.
0: Yeah, slippery dudes. The the strips of meat. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think it was probably the the best meat I've ever had in my life. Really? Yeah.
2: When was the last time you ate meat?
0: Uh, y- yesterday But before that The day before
2: you, I thought you, you, you didn't get around to it much in Ithaca
0: No, in Ithaca I, I try not to Yeah but Because the make, meat's I'm, really bad No, no, the meat's good, but I, I... Rancid we, we talk about my eating habits too often, I think I'm interested in them
2: <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about what I'm you know, I have, I feel I'm i no like, longer
0: uh, even pretending to be vegetarian I'm, I'm just eating meat whenever
2: My life is an open book, John
0: I even called uh, even called Rian yesterday and the first thing she told me was that she'd eaten a, ch- a charcuterie plate in my absence and she's the one who's not supposed to be eating meat yeah okay. and there's so cheese on it too yeah so I think we're I think our marriage is undergoing a change right now yeah it's becoming meatier
2: mm-hmm. more savory it's,
0: it's yes a little more umami in, yeah. in one's marriage is always a good thing
2: always is Always no. is. I had uh, umami.
0: You know this word, the Japanese word for. Do we have a word for it? It's a particular type of savoriness? No, that's
2: that's the word for it. Yeah, is so Parmesan is umami too, right? Is I it? Think,
0: yeah. Um, but what is it? What what, what what's, how is it different from say saltiness or sweetness? It's. You got me. I don't know. Yeah. Does anyone know? What what is what is it? Okay, so umami. Oh, actually, actually, Kate, know, why don't we go don't ahead and, and bring here? Kate up? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kate's going to
2: tell us about umami.
0: Kate Lebo, welcome to the show.
2: Although, Kate, I did I did try to have a conversation with you that didn't involve food or cooking, oh. but you your hand shot up. I know. Had the opportunity to continue talking. There are some things to that I know about, and yeah.
1: I would like to uh, perhaps expand people's uh, that they know that I know about more than pie. Also, umami is great because it has to do with um, dead
0: things. So yeah, what can you define it for? Okay, so
1: well, umami—the best—the best way to translate it into English is yeah, it's like a savory, satisfied taste. Okay. It's that taste when you eat something and you've got—it's—it's—it's it's, it's seasoned just right. You're happy. You want some more. Um, and it's, so it's not quite salty. Salty is an emptier taste. Okay. Um, so
0: you're really feeling it. You're feeling it. There's a hole in you. There's yeah. A, there's a there's a there's a null inside yeah. you. There's a void. And the umami is filling it. You exactly. feel you yes. feel it being filled. Do you know why it fills it? Why?
1: Okay, so umami comes from foods that have been aged, which means that their parts are breaking down. So in meat, that means the meat is rotting just a little bit. Okay. The cheese is rotting just a little bit, and because the all the cells are breaking down, we taste them better. Oh, so it's really the taste of death. What,
0: is that the dying meat? You're playing <laughs> an elegy for the meat. Umami Umami In my brisket This morning
2: Okay,
1: so what do you want to talk about? Oh God, You're the guest. Anything I want. So Kate, you
2: came over from, um, you've been living in, well not outside of Portland, you're on, the the cabin is on the
1: north north side of, corner of of Clark County. Oh it is in I see the part of Mount St. Helens that didn't blow up.
2: Yeah, All right. Yeah. Was there a word for that side of a volcano? I haven't heard it The good side
0: The good side
1: yeah. I don't know That's kind of the boring side
0: mm-hmm.
1: In some ways It's not very You have to go You survive the... on that side though There's
0: got to be a Japanese word For the unexploded <clears throat> side of a volcano <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm shocked you don't know
2: what it is That's true <laughs> Yeah uh, So you, you, you've you been living you were living in Seattle for a long time I met you You were uh, doing something You had some had role many at the, jobs At the Richard Hugo That's House That's true
1: you used you were, to come into my office and just stick your head above my cubicle, so I wouldn't see you, and then your head would be. I was watching you. Yep. Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah.
2: it's meant to be. <laughs> and uh, but you were, you were, you were uh, just out of college, perhaps? Just about. Yeah.
1: A couple years after, yeah. Uh, you were writing. I was writing.
2: And then you've you kept writing. Your writing has, has, uh, uh, has blossomed.
1: Yeah. Now I get to write for now a you're, living. Now you're unemployed. Time. What's that?
0: Now you're unemployed, unemployed, like me. <laughs> does writing does not count as employment.
1: It's uh, a job, anyway.
0: No. Yeah. No, yeah. it does not.
1: But Just, I, am, I am homeless. okay. And, I do, and I'm not paying taxes on any of the money. Homeless that I and unemployed. That
2: gives you some cred, then. Yeah. <laughs> and lovely. Homeless, unlike a lot of unemployed and homeless people,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> delightful yeah. to be around.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about me. Yeah, I thought you are talking about my homeless state, which actually has been quite delightful. I know. Yeah. I, know.
2: I know that it's, it's by choice, and, and it's productive. It's, you're yeah. fostering a creative well, environment. Well, I
1: played house for most of my 20s, which meant you know paying the bills, which had its own secret pleasure, taking care of my cat and other dependents in my life. Musicians. <laughs> musicians Dating <laughs> musicians. Thank that's the main head.
2: thread with that.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Uh, would you say that... that What launched you, aside from the the escalation of your writing career on uh, leaving uh, North Seattle, was the the higher higher rents? Yes. Was that that it as much as anything else?
1: That was it. I mean, I was was all set to stay there. I actually had the illustrator of my book was um, staying in my basement. I had lowered my rent to a cool $400 a month for a huge one-bedroom house. My landlord came in one day and raised it 50%, which was to market value, Mm -hmm. which is the way the neighborhood was going. You know, so I just kind of looked at the writing the, on the wall and decided to go.
2: Do you think it's going to, is that, how big, aside from evicting you and perhaps me from Seattle, right. do you think the, uh, the the current boom going on in Seattle, which is not elsewhere in the country, uh-huh. um, is going to, what, what effect is it going to have on our, our, our nice little creative uh, environment there? Well, I mean,
1: I can only, s- it, it, it seems like it's, in some ways, fantastic because it made me leave Seattle. I can only talk about my experience, I guess. There's a lot, a lot of my friends, a lot of people that you've probably seen, are um, sad about. Captain oh, I know Hill, them. For yeah. example, I know him. Yeah, and her, her yeah. all those people, yeah. um, or, or or Ballard, or any one of the neighborhoods that are being gentrified, and they're shutting down all of the fantastic bars. That's usually yeah. the They thing close that the Viking. Was
0: there not an article recently? David Byrne maybe wrote an article about the gentrification of New York City Mm -hmm. and the impossibility to live there if you're an artist. And Mm -hmm. because because there's no place to live in squalor anymore, um, there's no place for artists to to blossom. Is the same thing happening to
1: Seattle? I have done my best work out of Seattle. Really? Because I have not had to make ends meet in Seattle. It's hard to justify the amount, the, the working, um, as much as it takes to meet the cost of living there when it doesn't have the cultural resources of, like, New York, for example, yeah. Yeah. I guess. And I might as well just go to a small town where there's also artists and there's also great food. That, that's well, a lot of what small I'm,
2: towns in, in Montana, for example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one could move to Glasgow. Yeah. Malta. Sure. Uh, Big Sandy is one. Is the name of one, right? Alberton. Albertsons. There's a is th- thriving.
1: Yeah, we can
2: move to Albertsons. You go to the Albertsons Gorge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that it's is aisle that the... five? It's the Albertsons Gorge. Hiking you put in Albert- aisle five, and you sort of float down around aisle six, and, yeah. and then you you put out at uh, get get out. I think there's a launch down by the bakery. <laughs> you can get out. But Kate, my question, really, I suppose, is. Uh, uh, somebody trying to live trying to be a, a writer and, and trying to write well uh, how should one live?
1: oh gosh you should have some, You should have a wife you should have someone take care of you
2: Jill actually is not in the room so you don't have to yeah no
1: she, and I know that's a terrible way to out put the, it and she's on the patio <laughs> terrible way to, I'm, put, I'm putting it it's, it's a joke but it's also um, what I'm trying to say is it like I need somebody to take care of me right now in order to do all this writing I need someone to make sure that I'm eating Make sure there's a roof over my head. Um, so right now, that's my mother. My wife is my mother. <laughs> Off the case. Yeah, which is also weird, yeah. but wonderful. That could, that could You could get a good book out of that, though. <laughs> Probably. Right? Probably. Probably. I don't know my, if I'm ready wife, to betray her quite yet in that way. <laughs> no, dive right in.
0: <laughs> that's what it's all about, betraying those you love. Yeah. And making them doubt that, that you
1: ever really love them. Right. That's, what, that's, that's, that's why we're in this business.
2: business. So what are you working on right now? Who are you I betraying right now?
1: Am, <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, oh, Whenever I you asked, talk, what, I can't what, hear if I'm talking. What's that? That's how it goes. If if what hurts? Anyway. Say
2: what are you uh, working on presently?
1: <laughs> um, I have just finished a cookbook manuscript that's a bunch of um, lyric essays about pie and about fruit. And that's going through the copy editing process. So it's like finding all the little bits That aren't working, so that it works. These are recipes; they have to work. They can't just be close enough or beautiful. They have to work. Yeah, which is a little terrifying for a poet.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) To choose the exact
2: word. What's it going to be called? It's
1: going to be called Pie School.
2: Pie School. Pie School. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's an extension of your Pie School.
1: Basically, I mean that, which is my business.
2: Can you talk about the Pie School? Sure.
1: Uh, When I was graduating from poetry school, people asked me what I was going to be doing with my life, and I said, "Oh, start a Pie School." So that sounded like good at anything mm-hmm. to do, and then it became a good idea, so I just did it. I just teach people how to make pie. Mm.
2: Uh, you started out kind of in a guerrilla fashion, yeah,
1: yeah, in a bakery in Seattle called High Five Pie. Right. And it's still it's even more a guerrilla fashion now. I just do it in people's kitchens, yeah, whenever they'll have me and give me money.
2: You had a pie stand, yeah, for a while.
1: That's even more guerrilla. That was the whole the whole theme with that. I was trying to get my rowdy friends out of the bar so I could meet their kids and their dogs, um, and so I sold pie on my front lawn, also to make a little money in between years of grad school. Mm-hmm. And it has continued as the social that happens wherever mm-hmm. I am.
0: Uh, any pie innovations you've developed that you want to, to share with us? Any discoveries you have made about pie itself or about yourself yeah. in, the, in the process of, of, of making, inventing pies?
1: Oh, man. Developing pies. Oh, man. I've answered that question a lot of different How has ways. pie changed you? How has pie changed? Well, it's kind of... Um, I can't use recipes anymore. Really? No. And, and some of that has to do with getting so good at making pie, being, it being such a practice, that the recipe is just slows me down, gets in the way, and it's a lot more fun to just go to the grocery store, see what's there, and make it up. Yeah. Um, but that also... Um,
0: you're, you're making pie as if you're writing, actually. Yeah. It's like writing.
1: Mm-hmm. You go, you find the good materials, you put them in a frame... You hope it turns out. Yeah. That's
0: it. You don't, you don't start with a poem recipe, do you? A novel recipe? Start, no.
1: You don't. No.
0: You just gather some material and you throw it into a poem. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And hope it, hope it works. And you hope
0: it works. Yeah.
1: It might not always. It's okay. Make another one.
0: And if it doesn't, you feed it to your chickens. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what Pi taught me, if anything, about poetry. Is just make another one.
0: Yeah. Just make another one. Yeah. If it didn't work, yeah. just make another one.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: I think. I, I think... It occurs to me there's probably a lot of advice that applies equally to both writing and and baking,
1: such as, I it's your job, your job. Yeah, uh, use a light touch and go by feel. See, perfect. Yeah, cold hands, warm heart.
2: Preheat the oven. Yeah.
0: Bright eyes, shiny coat. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. What?
2: Bright eyes, shiny coat. That um, that's fantastic. What? Uh, how do you like Missoula?
1: I love Missoula. Seems to me that
2: I saw you here in Missoula recently. You did. We were Unrelated to any book festivals.
1: No. Just, uh, I loaded all my best girlfriends in a, in a giant minivan. Um, and we drove out here. A giant what? To drink. A minivan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Small. I mean. mean small no, van. It was, it, was a <laughs> a giant it was a regular minivan. sized van. <laughs> it was just a minivan. I mean, I'm exaggerating. It's just a minivan.
2: But it's the, the, the proportions of it's, its true nature was larger than yeah. the actual There vehicle. were a
1: large number of people in it. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you came like, to Missoula and you tore it up?
1: We tore it up. And
2: you went to jail? We
1: went to all the bars. We got super confused by the bars because in Seattle, the clientele that visits the bar is usually signaled by the decor. And every <laughs> bar we went to here was like awesome, beat up cowboy bar. And we could not find any cowboys. Yeah. I still don't know where they are. Yeah. If you it's, would a, like it's to a good tell point.
0: Me. Where are the guys? Where are the cowboys? What have you done with the
2: cowboys? They're <laughs> <laughs> in Bozeman.
1: Oh, crap. We didn't go far they're, enough. They're in MFA programs. They're not even <laughs> in Butte, I don't think,
2: are they? I don't know. Kalispell, sort of. Miles City. No, They're all frackers out there, right? Hey. That's a, that's a kind of cowboy. Yeah, it's a, that's an you okay know, word.
1: Musicians are cowboys. Which Here, ones? Really, all, well, the ones that tour, especially, but most, most musicians are cowboys. You listen to that, uh, like the best of Willie Nelson. Starts out with Mamas, uh, don't let your babies turn out to be cowboys. Ends with My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. That song is really, I mean, the, the narrative starts with a bunch of um, romanticization of the lifestyle. It ends with them alone in a whorehouse, sad, dying. <laughs> right? Um, so musicians are like cowboys in that they're uh, always alone mm-hmm. uh, even when they're with someone they love. Mm-hmm. Um, they're never really alone, though. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, What they're they never really alone. They don't seem really to be alone. alone often. And they keep moving. They don't, yeah. have, to, they don't have to be responsible to whatever's yeah. right there. I'm totally generalizing right now. You know, I'm a musician. I realize it. That's what this is all about. I'm, try- got a I'm piano trying writer. to hit a nerve. Yeah. 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 Is any of this spring, like, true? You
0: And you can't tie Ed Skoog down. He's he walking can't. down the street with his Casio. You yeah. can't rope him. Yeah. Nope, or brand him. <laughs>
1: nope.
2: Well, one thing I think the I think the Missoula bars all there was probably some fidelity at some point between the decor and the clientele. I think. What but what, what happened? But then it drifts. It drifts. Uh, the the decor doesn't change, but the, the the squad moves on for whatever reason, economic probably.
1: And maybe that doesn't matter so much as as I think it does, just because I'm coming from Seattle where. There's different aesthetics that are tied to different bars that people want to plug into for their own Mm -hmm. reasons.
0: Can you name some of these aesthetics? Well, for example,
1: there's the bar Montana. In Seattle. Yeah, on Capitol Hill (laughs) in Seattle. Yeah, That looks a lot like, like a tiny Charlie's. Really? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Intentionally, I think. Is it in
0: fact It's inspired by Charlie's? I don't
1: know, but it's been refurbished to look that way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, Montana and Linda's. Yeah. And bait Shop, is at the same spot. Bait squad? Shop,
1: that's also Linda, the Redwood. Yep. like mm-hmm. that too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. They all look like, like they're in a um, Montana named town. Yeah. A Montana
0: named town. Haver? Oh. Perhaps. Haver? I barely even know her. There's, I remember uh, when I when I lived out here. I was taking the train, taking the train once, and they had you know there's like an automated voice in the, the Amtrak train stations that will tell you like in Chicago where the trains are are headed, um, and it's and it said that 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 uh, one of the stops on the I guess the Empire Builder was Harv, Harv.
2: Oh, well, that's sick. That's not. It's neither how they pronounce it nor nor La
0: it's Haver. Is it not? Haver? It's Haver. But That's how it fits the limerick. I just can't believe that that it actually that actually got I mean it's a it, you know the announcements for your own train what is it train network company train Train Networks. Train, <laughs> Harv. Harv.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's the line on. on the the Great Limerick. Oh. <laughs> the greatest Montana Limerick. I don't know if I can say it.
0: Uh, no, it's really dirty. Yeah.
2: I keep an old woman in Haver. Who can fuck like no other cadaver? She's mounted in glue, so anyone who would have a cadaver can have her.
0: Yeah. That was a Mark Holthoff poem, Mark right? Mark Holthoff.
2: Yeah. We're, we're having a limerick contest in grad school <laughs> yeah. for, and I apologize to you, you can live with it, uh, to, for uh, limericks with uh, w- the, the name towns mentioned in Hugo poems. And then Mark recited that one off the cuff. And we did not hold the contest because no, it won automatically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you think you're going to move to Montana, Kate? I don't know where I'm going to go. you met a nice cowboy? No. If you did.
1: Not yet. I'm going to be here for Forsyte. 36 more hours. Foresight's a nice I mean, town. <laughs> I'm a cowboy now. cowboys. You're your own cowboy. I'm a cowboy now. It's
2: great. Hey, it's really great of you to, uh, to come out here to Missoula.
1: It's great and, to be uh, here. And sit up
2: here and suffer us Absolutely. for a few moments.
1: Absolutely.
2: You're gonna, uh, you've got a cold.
1: Totally have a cold. Is that
2: going to keep you from enjoying Missoula tonight? No. I'll take,
1: I'll take some more of the drugs.
2: You should try the silver dollar.
1: Really? What is that? Is that a, is that a drink or is that it's a It's about half,
2: half of a dollar. It's a. It's like a coin version of a dollar. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's How's it going to help my cold? It's, it's a bar. No, it's not. Okay. At all. No. <laughs> Kate Lebo, thank you very hey. much.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Author of a commonplace book of pie, available, and the uh, the tables outside, illustrated. Square, it is it's a square book about yeah. round food. Square book about round food. Have you already said that? No, that's okay.
0: She did pretty well. She did okay. Given given that we were giving her nothing.
2: Yeah. Uh, perhaps we could welcome up to uh, the Brooks and Browns room <laughs> my good friend Robert Stubblefield. How you doing, Robert? Hello, Robert. Nice coat. Thank you. It's sort of like mine, but better. Yeah. L- more leathery? Uh, yeah.
3: But I don't know, though.
2: Same buttons. No tie. Like kind of tortoise shell.
3: you got to talk to the mic. No tie, though. What's that? Okay, you've got the tie. Speak on the microphone,
2: please. I'm wearing a tie. (laughs)
3: So, Robert, you have new glasses. Yeah, I do. do. Um, Why? Go ahead. Nice of you to notice.
2: Is that a new prescription, or just uh, been listening to a lot of Buddy Holly albums? It's
3: pretty much a a makeover, I would say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) New prescription, uh, new paradigm.
2: My favorite part about time travel movies is when the person... (laughs) who who has done the time traveling goes up to the first person they see and asks, you know, what 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 day is it? And then they have to stammer out, "No, what
3: year, man? What year?"
2: Yeah. I wouldn't ask you.
3: Well, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> I would ask
2: I would I would ask the second person. You know, <laughs> so I was I
3: kind of worried about what we were going to talk about, but then you told me earlier, I'll give you a segue, you know, and so time travel <laughs> there it is. Uh, we hit that check. I didn't know you'd lay it out quite no, that, I wanted, quite that a,
2: smoothly for me. I'm going in order of the checklist.
3: <laughs> Robert, you
0: didn't bring us a pair. You were going to bring us a pair and you don't have a pair with you.
3: Well, as usual, I talked up these uh, Rosalie pairs, which apparently are the preferred pairs. I like that. Apparently apparently. apparently. apparently, the preferred pairs of not only Louis Fourteenth but also Jim Harrison. Yeah. same so. Same guy. Actually. They're
2: delicious. <laughs> Same guy. Yeah. Um, what's What makes these pears so fine? I, mean, I think pears are delightful. I got some Harry and David pears recently. They were good. Uh, I got them from the store. They're not as good, but they're kind of okay.
3: Yeah, I think that's... These are better than a Harry and David the, pear? These are smaller. The Yeah, the flavor is... Incre- they make a Bartlett taste a little bit like cardboard. Yeah. You
0: know, we actually have a pear tree in our yard that for years... Didn't, it's, it was basically a, a trunk with one remaining branch sticking out of it it's, it's mostly dead we were going to cut it down it started to kind of come back a little bit and uh, every year it would start to produce pears and then they would disappear a deer would eat them but for some reason it didn't happen this year and we actually harvested four or five extraordinarily delicious pears from our own yard
2: did you save one for Jim Harrison? I, I
0: didn't they, were, they have a, a,
2: a short shelf life it's true, it's true.
3: I actually did bring the pears, but I gave them to Kate earlier for a pie. Okay. Oh,
2: all right. It's not true. Kate says it's not true. Can you it's make a comes. pear pie? I don't believe it. Uh, so, Robert, you and you and John were were you classmates? Or did you overlap in the we, we Montana M program? Yeah, yeah Robert, we
0: were. Robert was the year before me.
2: Mm-hmm. You were with
0: Mark.
3: Well, yeah, I was so with uh, Mark all the. Uh, the author of the famous limerick. Right.
0: You guys, you guys Sorry were. Again. I was intimidated okay. by you guys because when we when we came, you all were um, very chummy with Bill Kittredge, and it was because you all smoked together, <laughs> and you had developed this sort of you know you take a long break in workshop, and everyone would go out and smoke, and uh, and I uh, uh, I didn't smoke, so I I just felt felt left out. I'm still really fucking pissed at you right now about this. <laughs> no.
3: Workshop was kind of a long, long break, but uh, yeah, that all changed fairly recently, though, hasn't it? Well, which part? I I was watching. uh, I showed a class a documentary on Hugo this summer, and I was, I was somewhat taken aback that they were all smoking in the classroom, (laughs) and you know, I, I guess it wasn't all that long ago in the classroom. I remember when oh, oh, you
0: mean in the movie. I thought you meant your students were watching Kicking the Loose Gravel Home and
3: smoking. Maybe it would have helped. I don't know. But uh,
0: I sometimes bring a bottle of wine to my workshop, my graduate workshop. I, I actually used to have... I, I forgot to do this this year, but last time I taught graduate workshop, I would bring a, a, uh, some red wine and a coffee maker. And so for the first hour, I'd brew coffee in the classroom and hand out mugs that everyone would drink coffee. And then we'd take a break, and we came back, we'd drink the
3: wine. That seems like a natural progression. It's civilized, right? Yeah, more civilized than, uh, I don't know, than not bringing somebody a pair, for
2: instance. That's really barbarian. Yeah. But um, what uh, what'd you have for lunch?
3: I haven't had lunch yet. It's, it's 3, three three four. 4 o'clock. I saved up for Lunchbox, assuming Lunchbox. Well, you when was I came be, here, I thought, you know. You thought it was a catered event. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was <laughs> a little disappointed. I did see someone up here having lunch, but no lunch was forthcoming for anyone else.
2: No, I just, I had a burger. It was good. Yeah, I liked it. Um, so you are you grew up in the country.
3: Yeah, I would say. I mean, I would I say would it's yeah. country life. I would say it was country life. There's nobody else around at all.
2: Where is this? Where is this ho- old home place of tell, yours? Tell us about Monument, Oregon.
3: Uh, Monument, Oregon is a small town in eastern Oregon. Um, Ed and I actually taught nearby there a couple of summers ago. Um, the Fish Trap Writers Conference. Fish Trap Writers Wala- Conference. Wala-Walawa. Where everybody kept telling me, including John, how much I would enjoy meeting Ed. For some reason, we had never met before. People said, oh, you're really going to enjoy Ed, to the point where I decided, you know, I think I'll be the ultimate judge of what I think of Ed Scoop.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: You have a powerful sales force working uh, most of the country. Why do you think I'm broke? <laughs> I'm still
2: paying these people. <laughs> They're still on retainer, like five or 600 people. So what did you decide about Ed?
3: Uh you know... <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about it. We, we, things were fine until you're invited to lunch box. You see someone eating lunch. You're you're waiting for your lunch. But no, uh,
2: we had a good time in in Wallowa at the fish trap Writers Conference. Um,
3: although we seemed
2: to be uh, someplace different than where everybody else was, we were we were kind of ghost like. They didn't uh, uh, we didn't understand Again each other. Again with the ghosts.
3: Yeah, I think it was a time travel. You know, um, once you introduce that into the week, yeah. But you know, one of the pro- the
2: main problem was, um, you know, yesterday I was talking about how upsetting it is to be eating one meal at the same table as somebody having a different meal. Similar, like our experience earlier, where I was having a hamburger and Robert was having nothing. But <laughs> but imagine that he was that you were having a, a bowl of cereal and I was having a hamburger. How awful that would have been for you
3: or me, you know. Well, it would be disappointing for someone. Yeah. You know, someone would be disappointed, which I suppose is a good outcome. But at at at, at Fishtrap, so we would, there would
2: be these readings in the evening that were lovely, and then we would uh, go to some the the, the conferences on the the grounds of a Methodist, maybe a Methodist camp, and so you can't drink on the grounds where the readings are, and so you go into town, a little resort. And go to this bar, which, which uh, they made a big deal about how they keep it open for you at 8 o'clock at night in the bar. <laughs>
3: it really felt, Wait, this this policy
0: makes guarantees that everyone's going to be drunk driving back to.
3: Well, it's only it's about, about, about 100 yards away. And, of <laughs> course, it was a riding conference, so there wasn't much interest in drinking. Oh, all right. You know, there really wasn't, <laughs> except, for, except for
2: us. But they had the, the terrible thing was they, they were very proud of their popcorn. And they (laughs) kept bringing this popcorn to you As you're sitting there And they sort of like put it down in front of you And and look at you like Isn't that some great looking popcorn Isn't that some fantastic popcorn Aren't you glad that I brought you this delicious popcorn
3: Yeah they expected Some commentary on the popcorn And it was made I wouldn't say implicit Fairly explicit that if you were to refuse The popcorn no beverage Would be forthcoming
2: Yeah No, $6 beverages would be forthcoming.
3: It was a little bit like having a lunch with you. A lot,
2: yeah.
3: But, you, um, you don't walk into a bar. But they didn't you're... even pop the popcorn there. It was popcorn from a bag. I th- think it was bought in bulk at some point during the mid-70s, and uh, <laughs> they're still moving this popcorn. You mean the uh, super
0: salty stuff in the tall plastic sacks? Yeah. That stuff? Yeah. That's, that's vile. If you're going to be a popcorn narcissist, you should you should actually make some goddamn decent popcorn. Well,
3: it wasn't heated. It wasn't even reheated either. That's it was like... What?
2: We ate it, though. I had all that popcorn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I had
3: every last bit of it. Yeah. John, you were talking about when we were in school together. I I think that when your class came in, you were likewise kind of intimidating to us because uh, you, you were hard workers.
0: Well... We, maybe.
3: You, you realize that the secret wasn't smoking at the break. <laughs> that, that it was actually writing.
0: <laughs> I was writing a novel during the break. Between the first and second half of the workshop, I would write the, the novel excerpt that I'd be workshopping the next... No, I didn't do that. I just, I, you know, I, I, I stood outside on a corner not smoking. But we, I guess we worked pretty hard. I've, I, I actually don't like to think about the workshop when I was a graduate student because I was utterly insufferable. And it got to a point where, you know, the, the, you know whoever's leading the workshop, will, will uh, everyone's got the story or the poem before them, and, and then the teacher will usually say, all right, what do you guys think? And then someone eventually will speak. And, um, you know, at, at first, people are reluctant, because you don't want to be the first person. So I started to be the first person, and it got to a point where everyone would just, the teacher would say, what do you guys think? And then everyone would look at me and wait for me to be a dick. And then I would oblige them by saying something kind of condescending. I I feel... I just... I can't...
3: No, I think that's much preferable to the model where uh, somebody says, well, what did you like about this piece? And then there's, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of silence. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, somebody says, Times New Roman. That that's that's a a very readable font. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: No, I guess that is worse than... How, it's, maybe it was providing a valuable service for the people in the class who were more reticent
3: well as a teacher for both of you do you ever get this when people ask you well do you really think writing can be taught it's, it's <laughs> kind of like what, do you go to a plumber and say what do you think do, do you really think a leaky faucet can be fixed <laughs> we don't do that we, we assume that you know mm-hmm. You were recounting earlier uh, a workshop with <laughs> the time f-
2: travel. Back in the 1840s. Uh, you were talking earlier about a workshop that you had, had been witness to with uh, the late Barry Hannah, and oh, how, do tell. how he administered uh, some of the thorny problems of,
3: of literary critique. Well, Kevin, I think you, you probably knew Barry as well, but Barry, there was. Uh, we were in the last day of this workshop, and it was a very pleasant day outside, unlike maybe today, and Barry opened the you know, workshop.: We can change the day if you want. Uh, we have a machine. Well, we you can. do have the machine. I, I, I noticed that there um, was a little. But Barry both opened and closed the workshop by saying, um, "I think we'd save uh, ourselves all some time if we agreed that this just sucked, you know? <laughs> now there's this one part here. It doesn't suck as much. More of that.
2: More of that
3: and I think it was pretty helpful actually
0: yeah did he did he say that to you?
3: He did not say that to me because I was um, as a scholar at this program, I was um, teen teaching with him for the oh. day and, and but he did comment about how well he thought the workshop went and a- <laughs> asked me if I, if I thought he was he said Bob, do you think I was too tough on him?" <laughs> We were, we were talking earlier. Of course, uh, the student blamed me, even though I hadn't said anything. and just pretty much glared at me for four days after that.
0: Wasn't there an incident? Wasn't there a Barry Hanna-related incident at, at, at when he came and taught in Montana involving a gun in a car? Or am I making that up?
3: Well, the, I think there were several stories that... Merged into uh, <laughs> into one, but there were numerous stories about Barry and a motorcycle and a car and a blackboard and a gun.
0: Yeah, and, and a knife he, and a blackboard. A knife and a blackboard? A knife yeah. and
3: a blackboard.
0: We're doing a, a terrible job uh, perpetuating these anecdotes.
1: You know, you're, you're, my... you're all
0: writers. Just, we'll give you, you've got the gun, the knife, the blackboard, and the motorcycle. Just go to town. You 20, write, write a story. 20 minutes.
3: I will have to say, my experience with Barry at Swanee was was great. I mean he was a wonderful teacher and he gave one of the best readings I think that I've ever heard to this day. What did he read? He read a story titled That's True from Airships.
0: Oh God, it, that book.
3: <laughs> it's just a great it's just a great story. And we were talking about this earlier on the short story panel, how, you know any any great short story breaks a number of rules. And that that story is not only its own world, it's its own universe, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was—he was a great writer. I never got to meet him. I met his uh, daughter in a bar in Tuscaloosa. She was having none of me, but uh, I did meet her.
3: Well, all of the writers I know who went to that program too considered very incredibly generous. You know, at, at Ole Miss, he was a uh, beloved teacher, friend, and writer for you know a gener- two generations of writers, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
2: What have you been reading
3: lately? Uh, I've been reading a number of short stories for the panel that I was doing, and uh, enjoying enjoying them all. Before that, I had actually never read American Pastoral, and I read American Pastoral. Yeah. Well, that's a good book. Yeah, you can see why they talk about. I, I don't know. Do they still talk about the Great American Novel? It it definitely has that kind of ambition and scope.
2: I think yeah. it ended. It may have ended that conversation. What do you think about uh, Alice uh, Munro being elected president of Canada?
3: Well, we again, we were talking about that during during the panel. I think it, I don't know, I, I hope it speaks well for the short story. They were talking about the Frankfurt Book Fair, and now everybody will be saying, well, short stories, you know, short stories are around and every year. Excellent collections of stories are published But they talk about the renaissance of the short story So people kept talking about marketing Oh well, you know, now we can market The short story And actually J.P. had a finally a writing related Question for the writers Which was, which was nice yeah.
2: what, what was your question, J.P.? Oh,
3: about revision
0: what, what do you want That's to know about revision? That's not a
3: question <laughs>
2: Revision.
0: How? The question is revision. How? Yeah,
2: that was a good. That was a good. That's right. Uh, that was a good question. The, to actually, ask. the panel. It is a writing-related question.
3: Yeah, yeah, and the panel seemed to feel it more eloquently than we did. Yeah, well, that's good. What's the answer?
0: What's the answer, smart guy? Mm-hmm. To the question, revision. How?
3: Over and over and over.
0: <laughs> that is a good answer.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I think that's. I think that's why we go into writing, because we're such screw-ups that every social exchange we have, we're uncomfortable following it. And we wish we could do it over so we could be uncomfortable in, in an unfamiliar way. And I, I guess writing gives you the chance to do that. You, know? you get to screw it up in different ways. Yeah,
0: you, you only have one life to fuck up, but when you're a fiction writer, you, could, you can fuck up multiple
2: lives. That's right. Or if you have a time machine. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, actually, one of the stories that um, in Sean Vestal's book, God Forsaken Idaho, is about heaven. And I thought it was, I don't know, a convincing, if how would I know, accurate presentation. But, uh, you know, people have a chance, and coming back to the food theme, they have a chance to eat any meal but from their life. You know, they can, and he mentions over and over, the food is excellent here. But there was also a victim of the plague. There, and the food was not excellent for him. He ate his his wife's spoiled mutton stew over and over and over. No pears for him.
2: (laughs) We're
0: harmed in the creation of this story.
2: I want to try these pears sometime. What are some other culinary delights of the Bitterroot Valley?
3: Honeycrisp apples. Um, Are they from
0: around here? Is that where they were uh, created?
3: I don't... I don't know. I don't think so. But they grow excellent apples in the Bitterroot. That's I go over there for the apples and the pears.
0: Actually, it's uh, in a where I live in upstate New York is also good apple country, and it is actually more like the Bitterroot than than most places I've been in terms of its uh, temperature, precipitation, and such.
3: Mm-hmm. It is. It kind of has a yeah. That's uh, odd to mention that, but it kind of has a similar feel in some ways. But I think that's why Deborah might might partner loves the fall there so much she's always wanting to go back to Ithaca for the fall
0: well she should come back many recall her with great fondness
3: what are you working on right now? I'm just finishing up a collection of essays titled The Country of Your Hands and writing you can shorten that
2: to hand country
3: to hand country? I'll, I'll work on it. I, yes, I revise it. I'll yeah. think about that. Think about hand country. The time machine, can I travel into the future also to see how which way it would be best received? Doesn't work that way, man.
2: Or actually hand land would be even better. Hand land? Hand yeah. land.
3: Uh, that's similar to a to a book that just came out, isn't it? title happy land and,
2: oh yeah by me which was
3: originally yeah. land
2: of the happies
3: I was yeah. out looking for it at the table earlier
0: in the country of the happies was the <laughs> working title
3: see that's how revision works and collaboration <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. you just saw it live what are the essays about
3: uh, the essays are. Different parts of the hand? They're about different parts of the hand. The web they're,
2: between the finger and the thumb. The I guess
3: they're kind of about. Uh, line. What's it about? That's always the question, isn't it? It's, well, the
2: essays have topics, right?
3: They do. Maybe that explains
2: I taught comp something. At a community college. Yeah. Complete sentences, uh,
3: coherent um, verbals. Maybe, maybe I better have you take a look at this before I send it to the agent. I want to. You want to have yeah. They're, if they're not
0: about things, you've you've skipped a step, I think. Although you know, I, I I don't like being asked that about fiction. What's what do you write about? Stuff. What Do you care? Do you, no, poets don't get asked that. What are your
2: poems about? Well, people ask? They do. Yeah.
3: That's what Ed yeah. hits him with the keyboard. I saw him doing it in the parking lot on the way in. People tend not to ask too many questions, though. I was
0: going to say about I, poetry, I would they, imagine that when you say you're a poet, the conversation killer. The the. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. The, the, only, the question is, why are you doing that? Stop doing that.
3: He'll ask if you make any money at it. <laughs> you know, after, after they've recovered from laughing. But Ed always opens his readings with the preface, like, I won't be taking any stupid questions following my reading. Does that mean I won't be taking any questions, period? Well, he kind of leaves that open, but he doesn't give any questions. No. Take, a, take a chance. <laughs>
2: But no, they, um, some of these essays, are, they, they seem to be uh, located generally in the uh, monument, eastern Oregon, water-related area. Uh, they are. Area. They're
3: located in the area where I grew up, and several of them address my work with uh, salmon restoration and working as a watershed counselor or, or, um, through, the, through the mid-'90s, late-'90s.
2: Have you thought about being a salmon counselor?
3: Salmon could use some counseling, they always can
2: yeah, I think they would you know the most of the time when we have contact with salmon with live salmon they aren 't going to be live much longer right we don't we don't generally encounter encounter them in their their happy lives out at sea, for example it's in the, it's in the i think that salmon are are having a difficult psychological time when they're um, coming up our watersheds and could use. You know, someone to help them, ease them into the transition.
3: Well, when they into, come uh, up, they're on the way out, you know. And that's, I don't know, what's the... They thing? need someone to talk to. They need someone to talk to. Oh. And actually, there's some good news on the salmon restoration front. Uh, some of the runs are healthier than they have been for for decades now.
2: That's what I'm hearing, yeah. You've been following the Elwa River I have.
3: It was one of the first... Uh, What's, what one of the first successful um, re, dam removal product projects?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, just in the last couple of years.
3: Yeah, and yeah. you know, despite all the dire predictions, salmon returned almost immediately, and uh, the watershed helped. It's pretty resilient. One of the first conversations I had with you, I
2: said something you know pessimistic and uninformed about salmon, um, and you said, "No, actually, they're uh, you know." They, they come back each year you know
3: well I think sometimes too it's uh, it's hard to celebrate good news in that front because there's so much you know there's so much sad news about the state of our watersheds and, I, you know, I, like, I don't like 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 sad if if
0: you, you know you you, you start uh, start celebrating good news in that department uh you you don't you feel like you're you're afraid to say that things are going well for fear that then people will let their guard down, and they'll start to go badly again.
3: And you jeopardize your funding.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: yeah. And the grantors hear about it, and they shift their concerns to K through 12 education.
3: You know, we always have to be on orange alert, I suppose. <laughs> That's right. Let's hey. end on a happy note. Yeah, why, why am I going to have
2: this brisket that you keep talking about.
3: Uh, we're going to have the brisket before um, before you go back to to Seattle. I'm afraid that I've uh, that I've built. The brisket up beyond any reasonable Wait, expectations.
0: This, this, this is different brisket from the brisket I ate this morning. You, did you make this brisket?
3: Yeah, I will oh. be making the brisket, uh, but um, yeah, the Burn Street Bistro is a great, a great place.
0: Well, not not to tear them down in any way, but it's, uh, there's room for many good briskets. Yeah, there's in one town.
3: Missoula it's, it's big enough for at least two briskets. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Stubblefield. Thanks, Eddie
2: Jones. Robert Missoula a town big enough for more than two briskets
0: definitely definitely so do you want to uh, shall we have one more round of the theme song as we uh, close the show I suppose we we should yeah
2: Um, but John this has been great you've been back in Missoula Uh, you came back last year and, and you're here this year obviously yep came to the book fest
0: last year and I we're thinking maybe the family will come back for the week next summer
2: you like most about Missoula, John? Uh,
0: what I like about Missoula is that. Wait, hold on, hold on. Yes. Let me just get a good, uh, a
2: good, um, a good sound effect. You're going to
0: lay down a, a six synth pad
2: for, for my your, answer uh, about
0: what I like about Missoula.
2: Yeah, I kind of like the '60s electric piano. Okay. Okay, you ready?
0: Missoula, Montana. Here's what I like about it. I came here uh, 20 years ago, and it was a certain way, and when you are not at a place for a decade or two decades, uh, it changes a great deal. And Missoula has not. It has remained more or less the Missoula that I knew, a lot of the bars are the same. A lot of the other businesses are the same. It's not just the same bars that were there before. They've remained the same inside. I was at Charlie B's last night, and it, I was very happy. And there was a moment when all the crowd of people I was with all parted, and then in the middle of the floor by the pool table was a dog biscuit, and we all stared at the dog biscuit for a good 20 seconds. And that was probably the highlight of my weekend. So, Thank you, Ed.
1: For lunch, lunch.
2: we we'll start over. Well, wait, then wait.
1: let's just have.
0: just enjoy the just enjoy the rhythm for a minute, John. Right. Is
2: this a Bonnie Tyler song? I think you all have the lyrics at your at your tables. Are you ready for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch
0: want some lunch well then we'll Here give you some, some lunch do you have a hankering for lunch well then come to lunch because it's time for lunch box with ed and john that's right
2: it's time for lunch box with ed and john Thanks, everybody. Thank you all for coming and sitting through that. It was very, you're good sports.